kick off episode 308 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Fog Huffer. It comes from the album Steel Second from the Kingston, Ontario band The Wairachis. You know, if you're up in Canada, you can check them out during Canadian Music Week in the middle of April, or you can hear them here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Welcome to the show. I'm your writer, host, producer, and a guy who just got his computer back, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast. And before we kick anything off, I want to say big thanks again to my man, Tom Doffel. Tom is a supporter of Monster Kid Radio. We haven't heard his voice on the podcast in quite a while, but his fingers are always there because he's the man who's built what he calls the Monster Box. He's worked his Frankenstein magic to rebuild my machine. Now, the old hard drive, it's still out in the Frankenstein lab. Hopefully some mad scientist will be able to recover all the data. In the meantime, I've got a new hard drive. I'm slowly rebuilding my music, my trailer, my promo collection. And of course, I had to have my podcast production software installed right away so that you can get this episode of the podcast. Now, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw me post a couple of Facebook Live videos over the past week or so. Talking about this, you can go back and check that out for more details. But bottom line, Tom, you're the man. Thank you. Let's get to what we're talking about this week on Monster Kid Radio. You know, sometimes things just kind of fall in my lap. And because I live in Portland, Oregon, I am incredibly lucky. I have access to a number of classic monster movie events, things that fit firmly in the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse. And one of those things was the Portland premiere of the documentary Kong Long Live the King. I had a chance to see it at the Hollywood Theater with co-director Frank Dietz in attendance and special makeup effects I'm going to call him a legend. His name's Chris Wallace. I got his name wrong later in the recording where I call him Wallace. It's actually Chris Wallace. Anyway, he's in the documentary. He happens to be a Portlander, so he was at the premiere as well. And there was a Q&A afterwards. I recorded it. So you're going to hear the Q&A on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Now, that's not all we're talking about this week, though. The Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, the ballot was released. It's the 15th annual year for the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. We're going to talk about that as well. But before we get to any of that, we've got a little bit of feedback. we got a voicemail from Steve Sullivan. Hey, Derek. Steve Sullivan calling in just to check in and catch up on the show a little bit. I listened to uh, Mad Monster Party and Frankenstein 1970 recently. And I also, due to you guys, watched both of those recently. And I enjoyed them both. You know, they're not perfect films. Neither one is perfect. Both of them are are a little slow, and they have other issues. But overall, they're a lot of fun. I mean, Mad Monster Party, how can you go wrong with the the Jack Davis designs and the Harvey Kurtzman script and that kind of stuff? It's really wonderful. I found myself, as I was watching it, thinking how well it would have played out as a, a Kurtzman Davis comic strip. Uh, I don't know if they did the comic book or not. I guess I'll have to check into that. But at times it was almost like everything was just a little too long, like they were kind of milking it a little. It didn't seem as well paced as the Rudolph specials. I've seen it before, and I actually I think enjoyed it more this time than previously. It's interesting that all the the male and female voices were done by just two people, aside from Karloff and Phyllis Diller. And Phyllis Diller is such a hoot. She was a one of the funniest women of all time. She was just amazing. And Karloff is always good. And he was good in Frankenstein 1972 as as in, well, 
as well, not in 1972. 1970 as well. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Uh, and again, that's not a perfect film. It's got really nice cinematography and, and a lot of good production values. The story's a little shaky, but Karloff is so good that it's hard not to love it. The twist ending is also a lot of fun, even if uh, kind of the effects don't completely support it at the end. It's still a, a good shock ending. Anyway, I enjoyed both of those. This week in uh, Cushing Horrors, Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors, Dr. Cushing discovers the long-sought-after Iceman, and we'll see what effect that has when that's brought back to the Chamber of Horrors. And uh, we've got psychic twins, we've got a werewolf, we've got uh, mummies, all sorts of good things happening, so people can check that out. They can read it at my site, com or subscribe at CushingHorrors.com. Have a great week. I'm looking forward to the rest of Frankenstein February, and maybe at some point there will be a Frankenstein and Cushing Horrors. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, so what would have happened with the rest of Frankenstein February is you would have heard an episode with me and Court Psyops from the Cinema Psyops podcast talking about the movie The Bride of Frankenstein. Unfortunately, that audio was lost when the hard drive decided to die. However, because Court's a podcaster, he was actually recording it as backup on his side. So I still have the audio. It just needs to be edited and put out as an episode of the podcast down the line. So that will happen. Court, thanks for backing me up on that. Let's talk about some of the other things Steve talked about in the voicemail. Yeah, Mad Monster Party would make an awesome comic strip. A lot of those sequences, and I think Joe Stuber and I talked about this when we talked about this movie earlier in February. So many of the sequences feel like scenes from a comic strip, like a punchline, like a three or four panel gag. I love that. I love that about the movie. Seems like Joe and I were not the only people that thought the movie ran a little long in some spots. All the feedback that we've gotten about Mad Monster Party... Pretty much everybody thought it ran a little long. The pacing just doesn't hold up to their Christmas productions, and I don't know why that is. I don't know. Frankenstein 1970, I know, Steve, that uh, you mentioned on Facebook as well that you're not too hot on the film overall, but I'm glad you gave it another shot, and sounds like you came away from it actually enjoying it a little bit more. Karloff, man. Karloff makes that movie. And yeah, the twist ending is, is pretty cool. I'm not going to get into it. No spoilers this time around, but listeners, if you haven't checked out Frankenstein 1970, which was a movie that Dwight Kemper and I talked about in February, check it out. Highly recommended just because Karloff is just chewing the scenery up left and right. and looks like he's having a grand time doing it. Steve mentioned his serial story that he's been doing now for the past several weeks. CushingHorrors.com is where you're going to want to go to find out about Professor Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. And from there, you'll be able to learn how you can read the installments as Steve releases them. Maybe there will be a Frankenstein monster. You'll have to read to find out. Okay, are you eager to hear about King Kong? Are you eager to hear about Kong, Long Live the King, this incredible documentary that I just had a chance to see? Well, we're going to get to all of that and everything else in this episode up to and including my thoughts on a recent episode of another podcast that tackled another monster movie that's kind of near and dear to my heart. We're going to get to that right after this. movie you're waiting to see as John Ford and Miriam C. Cooper present Mighty Joe Young. 
whose sensational exploits will startle you, thrill you, electrify you with hair-raising excitement and suspense. See mighty Joe Young as he savagely resists capture in his native Africa. Oh! Joe! Joe! See the most fantastic relationship between beast and beauty, a mere girl mastering a primitive giant. See mighty Joe Young, enraged by Hollywood pranksters, destroy Filmland's swankiest nightclub on the fabulous Sunset Strip. Mighty Joe Young, the picture that's alive with the most sensational action thrills ever filmed. Mightier than King Kong, Mighty Joe Young. Christopher, what insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there's a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. <laughs> that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show? Oh, we'll do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Out of the darkness of the ancient past, out of the dust of centuries and the inscrutable silence of the unknown come two new adventures in shock and suspense on one sensational motion picture program. The Mummy, plus Curse of the Undead. Fear will freeze you when you face The Mummy. It tears steel bars like paper. It snaps men's spines like matchsticks. It walks through bullets like a ghost. Wakened from the darkest tomb of the pharaohs, it stalks the earth with strangely human desires. The Mummy. And on the same program, Curse of the Undead. The haunting story of a faceless fiend who drained the young and beautiful of life. Together on one program, Curse of the Undead, and in chilling technicolor, The Mummy. Hey, Monster Kids, I just got out of the screening of Kong Long Live the King, and it was pretty phenomenal. It was here at the Hollywood Theater, which... Long-time listeners know I'm, I'm a regular here when it comes to these special events, whether it's a Hammer Films double feature or, of course, the Lovecraft Film Festival in CthulhuCon. I do this theater as often as I can when there's something relevant to what we do here on Monster Kid Radio, and this documentary is certainly relevant. It's still making festival uh, rounds right now. If you can get a chance to see this, whether it's a special screening or a festival or something like that, I highly recommend it. It's, it runs just over an hour. 
And the approach the filmmakers took was kind of a, let's just look at the fandom and the importance of King Kong. It's not a breakdown of how the movies were made. It looks at Kong. It looks at Son of Kong, Mighty Joe Young, the two other Kongs that, well, came out in the 70s and then 2005. And it's a great ride. It's a lot of fun. And Frank Dietz was in attendance. And special makeup effects artist Chris Wallace was also here. Now, Chris is a local. He's here in Portland. I was chatting with him after the show. And, uh, yeah, we might have him on the future episode of Monster Kid Radio. That, Fingers crossed that might happen down the line. Frank, of course, has been on the show in the past. He's also a podcaster over at the Damn Dirty Geeks podcast. He is also one of the guys behind the documentary Beast Wishes you know, Frank's had one heck of a career. And actually, as I'm sitting here in the car, in the parking lot, across from the Hollywood Theater, people are lining up for the Hollywood because they're about to have a screening of Zombie Nightmare, which is a zombie movie, I believe, from the 80s. Frank is in that film, not really in the Monster Kid radio wheelhouse or even my own personal wheelhouse. And besides, I don't have a ticket, so didn't stick around for that. But big thanks to Frank. Big thanks to Chris. Big thanks to the Hollywood. And I think the guy's name is Greg. Big thanks to him for making this happen. Because it was great. Now, I was sitting in the theater. It was a little warm, but I don't mind getting warm, watching people talk about getting warm at the thought of Fay Ray. There's a lot of Fay Ray love in the documentary. I was surrounded by other people who have been on other podcasts. I'm talking about people like Gretchen Martin, who's been on the Kaiju Cast and the Women in Horror podcast. I was sitting right next to Kyle Yount, you know. Mr. Kaiju cast himself. Jeff Dean was there. Rachel Cook was there. Clancy Peterson was there. And it was just a lot of fun to sit here and watch this documentary about a giant monster, especially since I just talked about this giant monster a little bit over on the most recent episode of the Kaiju cast with Kyle. They did touch on the Toho films a little bit and talked about the cartoon as well. Not, not a heck of a lot to really say about the movies other than these are important. They're part of the King Kong legacy. I get the impression that I love these movies a lot more than some of the people in the documentary, but that's not to say they talk bad about the movies. They just, you know, don't hold up compared to the original film. There's no way. And let's be honest, the King Kong suit in Godzilla vs. King Kong is not, well, the best. I do think it's better in King Kong Escapes, and that's actually one of my favorite King Kong, Godzilla, kaiju films. King Kong vs. Godzilla is, well... People know my history with that movie. It's the first one I saw on the big screen. It's the first one I really saw from start to finish of the kaiju films, and it made me a kaiju fan. So, of course, I'm going to have some love for those and get a little defensive when they aren't talked about with the utmost reverence, even though they probably don't deserve as much reverence as I give them. I'm off on a tangent. Let's move on and get back to Kong. Long live the king. I don't know if it's going to be eligible for this year's Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. I hope it is, because if it is... Man, I'm going to nominate the heck out of this thing as best documentary. The only thing that might hold it up is that it's not available in a home video format yet. It's, again, just making the festival rounds, having special screenings here and there. But if you have a chance to see it, again, run. Don't walk. Run. Buy your tickets in advance because you don't want to miss an opportunity to see this incredible film. This is this great documentary. I can't wait to see what Frank and Trish cook up next. Benevolent Monsters Productions. They've got a solid track record now, knocking it out of the park with Beast Wishes in this one. Frank gave me permission to run audio from the trailer, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm gonna drop that in here. And then after the screening here at the Hollywood... There was a Q&A session. Now, the first 30 minutes or so, it was just with the moderator and Chris and Frank. And I did record that, and I got their okay to run that here on the show as well. And monkey fingers crossed, the audio sounded okay. I was kind of sitting in the back, and I did fiddle with the gain on my recorder here a little bit. So hopefully it came through okay. 
I didn't record the Q&A with the audience because I didn't want to track down every person in the audience and get their permission to run it on a podcast, but I closed out the Q&A with a question of my own. So that I also recorded. So again, let's hope that audio works. We're going to get into that after we play the trailer from Kong, Long Live the King. Did you ever hear of Kong? King Kong was a guy I rented an apartment from in Philadelphia when I was in college, and he was really, really unpleasant. We called him King Kong because he was really big and he smelled bad. Um, but the other King Kong, the one you're talking about, uh, is, is an icon. King Kong is a sadly and horribly misunderstood lovesick girl. King Kong is the greatest movie monster of all time. King Kong is one of the biggest on-screen creatures, beasts, in movie history, I have to say. He's awesome. He is not only just a monster who frightened moviegoers, but he paved the way for a lot of the filmmakers to expand their imaginations. King Kong is the icon of an entire three or four generations of monster lovers. It's so good. Even for today, you know, you totally get lost in that story. So great. To me, it's a very powerful thing. It's, uh, it's, it's about the time in my life when I first saw King Kong. It's about the inspiration, how it was one of, of, of many things that led me to want to make movies like this and be involved in movies like this. King Kong is a, a, a very, very large uh, ape. He is um, worshipped by the local tribes people as a kind of god. He was a god. He, he, was, he was a gorilla god, that's what he was. Look, Kong's the eighth wonder of the world. And there's no getting rid of him either. He's gonna keep on coming back and coming back like the best monsters do. You can't say King Kong without clutching your heart, right? Anybody who hears the name King Kong gets excited. He's our hero. King Kong is still the greatest movie ever made, and I would watch it right now if, if you, you once spoiled it because um, it is just a fantastic piece of work that, that just uh, cannot be matched. Well, in the fashion of what I thought the movie originally was about this king, uh, even though he is a big furry fella that you kind of want to pet, you're terrified of him, but you kind of want to pet him, long live the king. <laughs> All right, let's hear it again for King Kong. to invite our two guests down here this evening to have a little further conversation about the big guy. Uh, I'd like you to welcome Frank Dietz, the director of And Chris Wallace. So, um, after watching this film and uh, you know seeing the scope of the influence of, of Kong, um, I have to ask, and I know you spoke to it a little bit during the film, but um, the initial impact on you when you were a kid, when you saw Kong, what was that like for you? Well, it was, for me, you know, for my generation, and for me particularly, it was, Kong's a very, very unique film. At that time, we had, it was all on TV, 
we had the Universal Monsters, but that was a separate family. They were off in their own little universe, which is great fun. I love all that. And we had the Japanese, we had Godzilla and a couple other of the Japanese monsters. I'm thinking my age. I, and I, I'm, trying to remember, I'm trying to remember exactly what age I was when I first saw it. I think I was probably about six or so. And it's one of the few films that I, I, I never thought outside the experience of the film while I was watching it. I was completely drawn in and absolutely riveted. I mean, absolutely riveted. I was astonished. I hadn't seen, I don't know that I'd actually seen any stop motion before at that point. And so, I, it was it was a mystery to me. I couldn't understand what I was seeing, and it Kong is an extremely powerfully told tale. It's big, it's solid, and it hits you very hard. And it struck me right to the bone. I mean, I was just stunned, really stunned. And it wasn't in a creative way. It was just in an experiential way. I just never experienced anything like it before. And I absolutely loved it. I. I preferred the Skull Island section because it had dinosaurs in it. <laughs> you know, I was six years old. So, yeah, for me, it, it was it was absolutely life changing, and it didn't necessarily it wasn't a film that set me on the path to get into special effects or anything like that. But it set my imagination afire. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of the one of the common denominators of um, people like Chris and um, many of the people that you saw in my film, that it, if nothing else, it lit that fire, it lit that imagination. You know, one thing that just occurred to me too, you, you talked about the, the movies that were available to us at, when we were, you know, kids of the, you know, 60s, and the Universal Monsters were uh, on television a lot, and I think that the difference is that even though the first half of King Kong, or more, more than half of King Kong, takes place on, a, on an island in the jungle, the last act takes place in New York City, which is where I lived. <laughs> so, you know, the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein were way over in some weird uh, European village that I had no, you know, connection to. But to see this, you know, this giant ape rampaging down a street that I have been on, that really hit home. Yeah. So, when you started making this film, Frank, when you started making this film, um, tell me about the, uh, about the motivation that would, that would, that would want you to, to, to make another King Kong film. Well, there had been um, other documentaries about King Kong, like, and most of them were rather dry, sort of making of things. It's uh, you know, I you know those of you who know who Ray Harryhausen is. You know, you know, how many times have I heard the same clip of Ray Harryhausen saying, you know, I saw King Kong when I was six years old and it changed my life. Or you know, I, I cut up my mom's you know fur coat or whatever. And, and it, it was all, it, it didn't have much life to it, as much as I love Greg. Um, and what happened was we had done, my partner Trish, who could not be here tonight, unfortunately, Trish Geiger, 
We had done a documentary called Beast Wishes, which was about Bob Burns, who you saw in our film. Right? Bob is the guy who owns the, the armature from 1933. And uh, that movie was very successful for us, and we were trying to think of, like, well, how do we follow this up? You know, this is, uh, everyone loved this movie so much. Like, what do we do from here? And we were at a convention, I think, um, and somebody said, just at randomly, I don't even remember who it was, but said, has there ever been a, a King Kong documentary? And I was like, yeah, there have been. There, you know, Peter Jackson did a whole like long thing when he was working on his, his film. Um, and then so I and Trish was really interested. She thought that was a great idea. We should do King Kong. But you know, Trish was kind of still new to the whole monster kid experience at that point. <laughs> so uh, I, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we should really do that. And then so it was like one of those middle of the night things, you know, where you wake up and you go, oh. This is what we can do. And what occurred to me was is that it hadn't been done from the point of view of how inspirational the character, um, not just the movie, but the character was. And, and I, I realized I knew so many friends that were in this business, uh, you know, in the film industry, specifically in special effects or, uh, you know, or artists or sculptors or writers or film directors who had been so just gobsmacked by seeing this movie when they were young that it definitely had, if, if indirectly, sometimes directly, influenced their, who, who they became and, and what they do. And that became interesting to me. And so to say, so we, we approach it from the point of view of this is like, like Bob and Kathy in Beast Wishes were an inspiration for so many people, like Rick Baker and so forth. Kong was an inspiration for even a greater group of people all over the world. So I just went to the same people that I, many of the same people, some new ones, that uh, were in Beast Wishes, like Chris. And, uh, and you know, people like Chris are great because all I have to do is say, hey, will you be in my movie? <laughs> <laughs> and I should tell you right now, I didn't get the chance to stand in front of all my cool stuff I have at home. <laughs> Frank <laughs> sidetracked me on the way to the airport. He <laughs> said, oh, come get my movie now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you got Shanghai. That's really what happened, yeah. He sticks me under a tree with the sun in my eyes. <laughs> we, we were talking about this earlier, because we were trying, we didn't want to, like, shoot a, an, another shot of somebody inside of a house with, like, books behind them or something. And Trish had the great idea. She goes, oh, why don't we go shoot it out near the, the courtyard down there, the condo complex that I live at. And we're like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> we put Chris out there in a chair. And, and as it turns out, I live two minutes from the Burbank Airport. I live one minute away from the train tracks. <laughs> it was garbage day. <laughs> there were people walking their dogs. There were squirrels 
having relations in the trees above us. Uh, it was the worst case scenario. I don't know how the sun is moving completely, so it's like, you know, oh, stop, Chris, wait, the plane's going, okay, okay, fine, yeah, okay. Oh, wait, okay, let's, let's go now, okay. Oh, wait, oh, wait, the sun's moved. Can you just do the same thing, but move the chair back? Move the chair back. Talk, talk, talk faster, talk faster. Get to your point, please. <laughs> well, I mean, that was, that was really it. It was, it was just knowing that this was a movie. If you, you know, you could think of a movie that, that has affected so many people, especially people that are in, in my world. Um, it, it seemed like a logical follow-up to, to these wishes. So that's really how it happened. Well, and I think for all monster kids, Kong is... It's just in the blood, you know. It's when you when you're a kid, you're awed by it and everything else. But it's it's a it's a subconscious reference point for all conversations for the rest of your life. You know, it's just kind of like those. That was one of the building blocks of who I am. So I know I share that. Even with people in the business I've never spoken to, Kong is still the reference point. You know, even if you don't address it directly, you're always talking about something on the level of Kong. It's got to be so good, yeah, it should be like the Tyrannosaurus scene. You know, you don't necessarily even have to say it, but that's what you're mentally referring to. You know what the other guy is, too. It, yeah, it definitely becomes part, it became part of, for many of us, part of our vernacular uh, when we talk to each other. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like code, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, like when he grabs the pterodactyl, right? Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have one more question, and we'll open it up to everybody out here. Um, this is for you, Chris. So, uh, I want you. I would, um, I would like you to talk about the importance of practical effects and the difference between, you know, the emotional response you get with practical effects versus digital effects. You know, we've seen Khan go from, you know, the, the influential practical effects to, you know, we're about to have Khan Skull Island. Uh, pop up that's going to be, you know, big digital film. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of practical effects and how that really resonates, I think, with people? Well, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question because there was a scientific uh, uh, survey that they did a, a really in-depth uh, examination of human perception with computer graphics. And they checked out all the you know various scenes that were all CG, various scenes that were all practical, mixed scenes. The brain responded most dramatically to purely practical shots because they something in the subconscious recognized in some way what they were seeing was real. The interesting and and the least with the total CG. The interesting thing was they found that in the shots that were part CG, part practical, the human eye immediately was drawn to the practical element, and it somehow subconsciously recognized it. So there's something that's ingrained in us that senses reality. It just, you know, whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, we look at something and go, yeah, that's cool, that's real, that's, that's really cool, but it's CG, you know, whatever it is. And CG's getting closer and closer all the time, and it looks great, you know, the stuff they can do is astonishing. But I think in terms of getting a really emotional response from an audience and getting the best performance from performers, from actors, if they have something that looks like what they're supposed to be responding to, 
they have a lot better chance of responding to it than a little green tennis ball on a stick. Right, if, it, if it's tangible, if it's yeah. where they can actually make contact with it, have eye contact with it, it's, it's huge. And you know, there's, there's another element to exactly what you were saying, and that is um, when, when CG was, was first being created, basically, it was not animators that were doing it. They were technicians, basically. They were they were you know computer uh, guys who did not have the the background, um, uh, the pedigree of having done you know worked at Disney or whatever, and, and understood animation and gravity. And so so very often what you saw um, with with early CG especially was movies like Anaconda for example, where a huge animal moves really fast. And the problem with that is, is that we have all been to the zoo. We've seen an elephant. We've seen a rhino. We've seen a hippopotamus. We know, so even if it's not you know, kind of fully conscious, somewhere in our brain, we know that an animal that is that big and has that kind of weight can't possibly move that fast. And it takes you out of the movie, and you know there. You know ILM tends to get it very good. <laughs> I mean, uh, very bigly good. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but there's so many that don't, and so it's it's a relief to see some some really nice practical effects coming back into it. I know that the the director of the um, the next Jurassic Park film, the next Jurassic World film. Um, has basically promised that there's going to be a great deal more going back to that great combination, you know, from like, from the original Jurassic Park, where Stan Winston uh, had these great practical effects that were working in conjunction with the, the CG, and it was it worked. It worked great, especially when the practical stuff was engaged with the actors, yes. and that's the thing that's. A lot of people don't understand when you're making a movie and you get on the set and you've got a hundred people in the crew there and you've got all this, this stuff going on. A lot of times, you know, this, the, the guys who are directing CG, back in their mind, it's always, you can fix it later. We'll do whatever we want in CG. As opposed to doing it practically where you're sitting there and you kind of go, you know, that looks really cool. But if I stand over here, it looks really cool. If I throw a rock at it, it looks really cool. You're interacting. You're creating on the spur of the moment rather than just kind of saying, okay, do this bit for the, the storyboard says you go from here to here, you know. And that's part of the issue of directing CG movies is you're basically you're following a visual script with whatever uh, previs video you've got going on, and so you it's not as free, it's not as easy to just kind of go, you know, that's not working, you know, it needs to launch or something, you know, and you, you, it's much more spontaneous, it's much more creative, and I think some of that creativity is lost in this sort of CG pre-programming process that's happening, and a lot of great directors are, are actually kind of being held back by this technology. It is, but it is getting better. There's a lot more stuff now on the set with CG that has, sets up your shot. You can see it, you can see it in 3D in real time, which is great. Yeah. But it's, it's not quite but in, but in the end, <laughs> all it does is make 
1933 Kong be that much more impressive? Yeah. Because you gotta realize it's 1933. <laughs> movies haven't even been around that long. Sound movies have only been around for like two or three years. The, the fact that they were able to make such an epic, amazing adventure at the time when the, the tools were all still new is, is remarkable. And it's well, they were creating the tools as they yeah. made the film, really. And it's, it, it is amazing because it seems like it's such a unique film. It is, there's nothing like it before. There are, there's The Lost World. Actually, you shouldn't say there's nothing like it. There was actually a, wow, 1928 or 29 silent serial where, I can't remember if it's a filmmaker, but somebody and a woman are stranded on an island with this main character whose name is Kong. So there's, you know, there's like subtle stuff that was probably, Marion C. Cooper was pulling a bit from here, a bit from there, a bit from his reading and all that. But he created, put together something not like anything. It's not like anything. It's not like its own sequels. It's not like its own remakes. It has this incredible raw power that just punches you as an audience. Yeah, and not only that, but it was a truly original character. You know, all of your other monsters from that era, from Phantom of the Opera, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Invisible Man, Jekyll and Hyde, all of those came from classic literature. And folklore. Yeah, yeah. yeah or the, yeah, the Wolfman would be from folklore, but Kong was a, a complete original. And uh, again, it's, it's just one more piece of that puzzle that, that you know, creates this, this masterpiece that will be around forever. All right, last question. So you touched on uh, some of the knockoffs, like the Queen Kong and things yeah. like that. For either, for, for, for both of you, is there a particular King Kong knockoff that you actually like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like is a strange term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always had a soft spot for Conga, only because I saw it in the theater at the right age, and I kind of knew when it was going in. But the fact, I, I love guys in suits, gorilla suits, so, you know, I, I have a soft spot for any film with a guy in a gorilla suit. And that was George Barrow's right. suit, but not but George Barrow in yeah. 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 George Barrow's, uh, who normally performed in that suit he made, uh, rented it to the uh, British uh, production company, much to his chagrin later on, and returned in a uh, less than pristine condition. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And, and mine uh, is also a Michael Goff movie. Uh, say Trog. I'm going to say Trog. <laughs> and, and, and Trog, I love Trog because it is so ridiculous. It's so over the top. But if you, if you look at the beats of the story, it is exactly King Kong. They find they find this creature, um, and it's and it's basically King Kong is the is the basis for a lot of monster movies. Um, I just love Kong because it makes me laugh. It's it's uh, I, and any movie where Michael Goff is like spinning venom at people, you know, this creature will kill us in your sleep. Take it down, Michael. Um, but I I love I, I I love that kind of that style of monster movie. You find the monster, you capture him, you try to, you know, rehabilitate him or try to, you know, make things work, uh, you know, that he could be in society or whatever. Uh, and inevitably through one force or another, he escapes, 
Uh, and Trogi catches a little girl, and he thinks that she's a doll um, instead of a, a you know a pretty lady that he falls in love with. But uh, and in the end, he has to die. Um, and it's it's exactly Cape Cod. Um, it's just really goofy fun. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Deeds. I think you can tell by the excitement in my voice as I was recording in the car outside the Hollywood after the documentary. I loved this movie. And yeah, it is on the ballot for the Rondo Hatton Awards this year. So it is there. It is something that's eligible. I highly recommend you check it out. I don't know how many times I said it while I was sitting in the car recording, but I'm going to say it again. I highly recommend it if it's playing anywhere near you. Well, worth the price of admission. I just got to check this thing out. Please, try to describe it. Like nothing I've ever seen before. You're the only one who saw it and survived. Whatever it is, it must exist. It's still there, trapped. I must go into that cave before the police. There's another cave behind there. to the beginning of time when giant reptiles thunder defiance and man is yet unborn. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons trapped in a dark subterranean cavern. Its frozen fury preserved in suspended animation. It comes silently screaming through the ages. This terrifying half-human monster awakens at last awakens now to vent its murderous wrath on you. This kill-crazy fiend from hell must be destroyed. You may want to hide. You may want to forget what you see. But you can't. You can't escape. Stay where you are, Dr. Brockton. That's an order! Ah! Dr. Brockton! Not since King Kong has the screen exploded with such mighty fury. Defying bullets, bombs, rockets, standing a hundred feet tall, sending an entire civilization into panic. Konga, in color and spectimation. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. 
Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. So it's award season once again for us monster kids. Yeah, the Oscars have come and gone and I don't know when the Emmys are. There are other awards happening. It doesn't matter. The Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, that's where it's at as far as people like, well, I'm concerned. It's 15 years. It's the 15th annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. I want to tell you, the awards are about recognizing the best in classic horror research, creativity, and film preservations. Now, there are so many categories on the ballot. Sometimes it feels a little overwhelming for people. Don't worry. You don't have to vote in every category. In fact, I, I don't know many people who do. What you do is you go to rondoaward.com, check out the ballot, look at all the different categories, pick your favorites, email taraco at aol.com. That's T-A-R-A-C-O at aol.com. Simply email your name and your favorites in each category. That's it. That's all you got to do. But it's not all you're going to do because the ballot serves as kind of like a shopping list or a checklist of all the incredibly cool Monster Kid stuff that happened last year that you may have missed. This ballot, as awesome as it is to see all of my friends on there and to see Monster Kid Radio in there, I also love just going through and seeing what DVDs I missed or what article I missed there or what interview I missed here or what TV show I need to go back and check up on. It's just an incredible resource that... I look forward to every year. Now, I want to talk about some of the categories because a number of previous Monster Kid Radio guests are recognized on the ballot, and I wanted to talk a little bit about them. Just going through the list, first of all, when I look at category number six, best commentary of 2016, David Schechter is on the list. Now, David was on the show not too long ago. He's the man behind Monstrous Movie Music, and he provided some commentary about music, about Les Baxter, during Tom Weaver's commentary on the Blu-ray release of the movie The Black Sleep. So he's on the ballot right there. Also, Best Independent Film. Now, this is where Monster Kid Radio can proudly say there are two people on the ballot that have been on the show in the past. Friends of Monster Kid Radio, Joshua Kennedy is on here for his movie, The Night of Medusa. And then my man, Christopher R. Mim, Where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter, is on the list for Best Independent Film. That's category number eight. If you haven't seen Where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter, you're missing out. This is probably one of Chris's best movies. Now, he's been making a movie a year for over a decade. They're all in the same universe, the Mimiverse. And this one ties in in a very clever, unique way. And I dig it, man. Now, right, let's go to category number nine, because The Beast in the Cave is here. It's in the category of best short film. The Beast in the Cave was directed by Cameron McCasland. It was written by Dr. Gang Green, Larry Underwood. He co-produced it with Cameron. I had a chance to see this at the Lovecraft Film Festival last year. 
got a great reaction from the audience. It looks incredibly cool. It's a great little Lovecraft adaptation of one of Lovecraft's stories that doesn't normally get adapted. I've seen a lot of adaptations at the festival over the years, and I, I don't think I've seen this one done very often. So to see their take on this and to see it on the big screen, well, it was, it was a treat. It looks good. It sounds good and definitely worthy of its nomination on the Rondos this year. In category number 10, that's Best Documentary, and I've already gushed about it. Do I need to gush about it anymore? Kong, Long Live the King, is right there. Check it out. I want to go back to Dr. Gain Green to Larry again, because he's also up for Best Columnist. That's category number 15. You know, he has a column in Scary Monsters Magazine called The Doctor Is In Sane. Best cover is a fun category because the ballot is, it's a bunch of text on the screen. You know, it's sometimes it's, it's a lot of words, you know, but best cover, they've gone in and they've given us scans of every cover of every magazine in this category. Mark Maddox. Okay. Mark is a fellow podcaster, but he's also been on the show in the past and darn it, Mark, I got to get you on the show again in the future. He's on the ballot, not once, not twice, but three times for his magazine cover work. Now, I was talking to Mark a little bit about this. I would love to see Mark win a rondo for this. I really would. But which one? Which magazine cover? Well, of the three that are nominated, I know that I'm going with Mad Scientist Magazine number 31. This is a cover that he did using the classic Doctor Who monster, the Zygons, the Zygons. I don't watch Doctor Who, so I probably am not pronouncing it correctly, but darn it, they look really cool. And Mark makes them look even better. In category number 17 for best website or blog of 2016, there's a blog listed on here called Collecting Classic Monsters. Now, that's a blog run by George McGowan. There's also a Facebook group to support the blog. George has not been on the show yet, but George and I have been talking, I'd say, for at least a year now on Facebook off and on, talking about getting him on the show and then some other projects that he and I are working on as well. It would be great to have him on the show and for Collecting Classic Monsters to make the cut, to be on the ballot. Well-deserved, my friend. Well-deserved. Now, of course, there's a favorite horror host category, and Dr. Gang Green is in the mix for that as well, because, I mean, come on, he's Dr. Gang Green. And, of course, it's the best convention of 2016 as well, and really, <laughs> of all of them, Monster Bash is right there. It's my favorite con, but there are a number of really cool cons on here that I wish I hit last year. And not that they're listening, but congratulations to Stephen Gord from the Bone Bat Show, because their Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival also made the ballot. Now, you'll notice that I skipped over the best multimedia category. That, that's where Monster Kid Radio landed. It's category 18, and there's a good 10, 15 other podcasts on here, including podcasts from other friends like the Kaiju Cast, the Between Light and Shadow Twilight Zone podcast. There's a number of incredible podcasts on here. And I want to say here on the podcast, something that I've been saying to people on Facebook, podcasting isn't about a competition. I don't think it's a matter of somebody being better than the other. It's an honor to be nominated. I think it's fantastic that Monster Kid Radio is on the ballot. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you guys and gals backing me up for supporting Monster Kid Radio, for mentioning the podcast on various social media platforms or message boards. And I thank you for that. It means a lot. Now, a couple of years ago, I did win the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award for Monster Kid Radio, and that was a true honor. And while I would love to add another one to my shelf, just being on the ballot itself, it means a lot. So thank you guys and gals for helping to make that happen. Now, every category does have a write-in possibility. A lot of times, fiction doesn't get mentioned on the ballot. So in the best book category, that's category number 11, book of the year, you can write in something like Stephen D. Sullivan's Manos, The Talons of Fate. 
This book is available for you right now. And, you know, Steve, he's been on the show. He's been on this show with his voicemail. Steve's a great guy. He's an incredible writer. And to take Manos, a movie that so many people consider one of the worst of all time, a movie that so many people can't even handle watching without having MST3K or somebody riffing it, to take this movie and turn it into a scary story, into a horror novel. I mean, that takes skill. So if you want to write a book in, there's your pick. And speaking of write-ins, there are a number of categories at the end of the ballot that are just strictly write-in categories. Categories like Best Writer of 2016, Best Artist of 2016, Best Fan Artist of 2016, International Fan of the Year, and Monster Kid of the Year. So for Best Artist, there's a guy who's been on a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio, a guy whose art I happen to really enjoy. His name's Jason Brower, and I do plan on having him on the show again down the line. And when he does come back on the show, I'd love to introduce him as the 2016 Artist of the Year. So good luck, Jason. I'm going to write your name in there. And hey, in that fan artist category... I think I'm going to write in the name of Shelby Denham. Shelby's the person who does those incredible portraits of the monsters that we use all over the Monster Kid radio graphics, uh, the Frankenstein that you see for Frankenstein February, the lineup of monsters that she's done for the banner that we normally use, everything else that she's done for the show. Yeah, I'm going to write her name in, Shelby Denham for fan artist. The final category, Monster Kid of the Year. Now, we tried to do this last time, and... Because he was a humble guy who didn't do any of what he did because he wanted recognition or any kind of fuss made about him. At least that's the persona he put out, and I I believe that's truly how he was. We wanted Vince Rotolo to win an award for Monster Kid of the Year for everything that he's done or did for podcasting. You know, the spirit of Vince lives on now with podcasts like mine, with other podcasts, other shows out there. He made such an impact on so many people. He won an award posthumously at last year's Monster Bash, and I would love to see him win a posthumous Monster Kid of the Year award. So just please consider writing in the name of Vince Rotolo. If you want to learn more about what Vince Rotolo meant to people like you, like me, like all of us, Check the archives because we did a tribute episode to him here on the show. But you can also pick up the June-July issue of Monster Magazine from last year, issue number 30, where Steve wrote an article calling him the Prince of Podcasting and just really detailed what he meant to well, all of us. So please consider writing in Vince Rotolo from Monster Kid of the Year. That's it. Again, rondoaward.com is where you're going to want to go. There will be a link in the show notes. I'll mention the awards a few more times before the deadline for the ballot. That'll be in the middle of April, April 16th. So make sure you get your ballot in then. Again, all you got to do is email T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com, your name, and then your votes for whatever categories you're choosing to vote for this time around. You can only vote one time. And please, no no scamming or anything like that. Don't make multiple fake email addresses. Everybody just wants to kind of keep this fun and honor the best in Monster Kiddom from 2016. Nothing can stop it. The Blob. Starring Steve McQueen. It creeps. It crawls. It's slithery. It's slimy. The Blob. Plus Dinosaurus, both in shrieking color. Brace yourselves for the month of March. Contra Hoon's Feature of Fright presents... The Mimiverse Month and a half. Yes, I, I, I know. But don't judge me. I'm not in charge of marketing. For the month of March, I, Count Rahoon, shall sit down with world-renowned filmmaker Christopher R. Mim, the writer-director of such cult classics as The Giant Spider, 
Danny Johnson Saves the World, and Rare Skeeto Nazi Hunter for a two-part interview for my Interviewed by a Vampire segment. In addition to this two-part interview, our first episode of April will star Christopher R. Mim as Dr. Rick Adelaide in an audio play entitled Journey to the Center of Ollie's Bladder. Log on to camcordertv.com come mid-March, go to our podcast tab, and click on Count Rahun's feature of fright to listen to part one of my interview with Christopher R. Mim. Or listen to it on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. I am Count Rahun, and I shall be expecting you. And remember that as far as things go when things go bump in the night, there are such things. Journey into double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space, and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell-bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. I'm going to say something shocking here. I, you know, I love my monster movies. I love my kaiju films, my Santo, my Luchador movies, my classic Universal, my Hammer. I love all this stuff. But I have some interests outside of this. <gasps> I know, right? Well, because of that, I listen to other podcasts outside of this wheelhouse, outside of this particular subgenre that I love so much. And I love it when the things that I love from the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse turn up on other podcasts that are not really connected to Monster Kid Dumb at all. And when I was listening to a recent episode of Weird West Radio, I was shocked and then thrilled to find out that they were covering the movie Billy the Kid versus Dracula. What's cool about this is, well, it's a cool podcast to begin with, but what's really cool about this is you've got a couple of guys who are Western fans, spaghetti Western fans, weird Western fans, taking a look at a movie outside of their normal uh, filmography. The, the kind of movies that they talk about, the TV shows, the books, the comics, they don't regularly dive into movies like this. So to hear their take on this John Carradine classic was just fascinating and a lot of fun. I don't agree with everything they had to say, and they actually brought up some points that I think sometimes, as a monster kid, I don't really see because I'm I'm in it. I don't have that bird's eye view of it. I'm, I'm right here. I'm in the middle of it all. So to hear, uh, for lack of a better term, an outsider's take on the movie, it was fascinating. Now, the Weird West Radio podcast is part of the Rain Man Digital Media family. You can find them at rainmandigitalmedia.com and just click on Weird West Radio. They have a number of other podcasts that they have under the Rain Man Digital banner. I, I'm not familiar with any of those, but the Weird West Radio podcast I'm a big fan of. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, and if you check them out, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. All 
right, well, so that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening and for being patient with me. Again, didn't have a regular episode last week while we were dealing with the hard drive computer issues. Thanks for sticking around for the show. Head over to monsterkidradio.net to learn everything you need to know about the podcast, either while you're listening or, or between episodes or whatever. I haven't updated the banner yet. I haven't returned it back to the normal Monster Kid Radio banner. It still says Frankenstein February. And that's because the original graphic was on the old hard drive and I don't have it right now. I, I might have it in a few other places, so I may be able to update the website. But all the content's the same. Everything you need to know, all our contact information is right there. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a voicemail like Steve did at 503-479-5657. It's 503-4795-MKR. We have links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. You can get involved in the group, have conversations with other Monster Kids. And the page is where I start announcing things about the show, future episodes, and probably where I'm going to start posting some of my Facebook live videos because I want to make that a semi-regular thing. So stay tuned for that. If you're on Facebook, give us a like. Also on our website, you can find a link to our Patreon campaign page, which does need to be updated, but you can check us out there and help support us that way. But the best way you can support us is just giving us honest reviews and iTunes and any other podcatcher that you use and just sharing news about the podcast. Share it on your Facebook, your social media channels. Let other people know because the more Monster Kids we have here, the merrier. There's room for everybody here at Monster Kid Radio Mansion. Next week on the show, finally, after several delays, Greg Starrett's going to be on the show. Greg is the co-author of the book Fit for a Frankenstein. He is of all the people that I've talked to, the biggest Conrad Veidt fan. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Conrad Veidt film, The Man Who Laughs. It's a silent film, so I don't have a trailer to play for it. <laughs> so, so you won't get that this time around or even next week. But next week, what you do get is an audio drama. Greg Starrett's one of the men behind Veidt Radio Theater. So be here next week to learn a little bit more about that and to hear the audio drama they've produced called The Laughing Man. That's coming up next week on Monster Kid Radio. Future episodes will feature that conversation with me and Court Psyops about The Bride of Frankenstein. Scott Morris and I are going to be talking about the car, and there's a number of other people that I need to reach out to and firm up plans to have them here on Monster Kid Radio. Between now and then, I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Fog Huffer. That belongs to the band The Wairachis. They are a surf band out of Kingston, Ontario. You can find them at thewairachis.bandcamp.com. That's spelled the and then H-U-A-R-A-C-H-E-S dot bandcamp dot com. Or follow the link in the show notes. Or if you happen to be in Toronto, April 18th through the 22nd, they're playing during Canadian Music Week. So you can find them there as well. Enjoy the song, and I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 